Earthlets. My name, my name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 202nd episode of Space Spitter oh 2000. I'm podcast so sorry. 200! A podcast where two makers trying to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one with the progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for June 1989, progs 629 to 632. This time, Dread has a near-death experience, Slain meets a goddess, Zenith meets the heroes, Rogue has some rough times, we head out to say hi and beyond zero, and PJ Maybe <laughs> begins his confessions. Man, oh man, uh, what a June. Yeah, what quite a, June. a month, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I, I can't even say, uh, with everything that I read... Uh, that I would hate the future shocks and the kind of after parts. Like it was mm. just, this is literally thrill power overload. This yeah, month it's good. I mean, of June, I, 1989, I we discussed it, but I think that we sort of talked about how like, um, like last year, 88 started real strong. And then we kind of got yeah. to the last part of the year and then smoothed and, and and, and, and it really went downhill. Mm. And this year, I think as we talked about, might, might be the opposite, where it sort of starts weak and then maybe uh, gets stronger as, we go, yeah, as this, we go through. this midpoint has me hooked on several different storylines that I did not expect. Let's nice. say. Yeah, and the, there's exciting stuff to come as well, though. I, well, what... We'll we'll talk about it as we get there. Anyway, oh, so if you want to read if you want to read along with the show, you'll find a comics we're covering today in Judge Dread: The Complete Case Files thirteen, Slain the Horn God, Zenith Phase three, and Rogue Trooper: Tales of New Earth four. So, uh, speaking of which, Fox, speaking of things uh, uh, getting worse towards the end. Oh no! Oh, like towards the end of your life. If you're this Kohlrabi guy. It's no. Thrill one, Judge Dread. You know, I don't really like kohlrabis all that much. No. Like the – is it a fruit? Is oh, it I was going to ask you. It's a, it's a kind of ca- – uh, uh, a, ca- a wild cabbage, also called kind a of, German but it, turnip. It's, but it's got juice inside. Like it's like kind of a coconut but not really. Weird. Uh, you know what else has juice inside? Throw one, <laughs> Judge Dredd. No. <laughs> Script robot or or script robots Alan Grant, John Wagner, art robot Barry, art robots Barry Kitson, Cliff Robinson, and Liam Sharp. Letting robot Tom Frame. Like you, T Frame. Keep it up. Keep it up. So uh, once again, Dreads in the front of the comic because Slade is in the color middle, and but also star- got some got some chicas up here. Yeah. Well, we're starting out. We got Alan Grant and Barry Kitson starting us off on writing and art. And we see Dredd tying up some kind of sharp-toothed mutant as Judge Anderson and a lady perp look on. Just a quick you know, one-page cameo by Anderson You know, just observing the BDSM here. that it takes to be a judge. It's hard out there, man. Um, <laughs> Super suddenly, rough. Whoa. Suddenly she has a side flash, but it might be nothing. Yeah. Both of them mention Recyc during this scene. And speaking of that, we see the very human conveyor belt as a man with curly blonde hair is dumped <sighs> oh, in with God. a bunch of other corpses. I I honestly feel like any time a side judge has a flash, is that a, like a like a whatever thing, or is it a 
I'm laying on a pile of bodies as I watch my spirit fly away from me and then realize that a robot or maybe not robot is ripping the teeth out of me. Well, it's tough because, like, Anderson had a flash, presumably it matches to this recite case, but there's no actual way to figure that out. So, like, presumably sides are always having flashes that just relate to some <laughs> sort of tragedy going on in NECA City 1. But Which that's happening normal. constantly. Yeah, like, it's sort of just the, 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 the general move of it. Um, Box but yeah, checked. So, yeah. <laughs> so we see this curly-haired guy uh, drop onto the recycle pile. His spirit flies away, heading into the light. But then as his teeth are ripped out by a tooth machine, and this is a – we were talking really about wrestling before this episode horrible. started. But this – yeah, oh, this feels yes. a lot like the uh, – like the, uh, the submission move by this lady, uh, Doctor Britt uh, Britt Britt Baker DDS, who who wrestles what? for the a- AEW. Um, she goes p- for the jaw. Yeah, well, I mean, she's got a move that's kind of like it's it's it, it's like uh, Mick Foley's old mandible claw move. Yeah, but but hers is the mandible jaw, and he she just full on just jams her hand into her <laughs> bottle jaw and just pulls it down, and ooh, it's real, it's real rough. But especially that, because that is she's disgusting. A, she's a dentist of DDS, so she oh, knows no. how she she's got the secret power moves so on all them teeth. So she might rip them them teeth out, as right. we see. Exactly. Um, yes, yes. So he gets his teeth pulled out, and he starts comes alive and screaming. So the recycle I mean, lines I quickly would. shut down. Yeah. Listen, you don't be stoic when they rip your teeth out. Um, Dred's mm. called in to investigate, and it seems this man, Lazarus Kohlrabi, LOL Lazarus, and we discussed Kohlrabi's previously, um, he's actually still alive. His death certificate was signed by his boss at the Eddie Poe Cardiac Clinic. So what I love about clinic. this this whole setup is that... <laughs> the Telltale <laughs> Clinic. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Wow. Uh, what, what I love is, even though these are definitively recycle and they work for the government mm-hmm. judge dread still gives everybody a rundown yeah what well, certificate plus, you know, who signed it yeah like why the fuck the did you okay this weird nude guy to get his teeth ripped out like just everybody's nude on the recycle line fox I, it's not weird because he's nude on i there. mean the last time we saw recycle it was a bunch of like nickelodeon um uh, monsters. Fucking, I don't remember what the that name was. A of it was that but was like, a different thing. That Rocco's was the garbage modern dis- life, like green that, mush. That was, the, that was the garbage disposal with all those big worms uh, at it and stuff. Oh, I forget the last right. time we see we, we saw recycle. It must be. We're not usually in recycle. Yeah, there must have been a time bet- between. Uh, the Fink storyline where Judge mm. Hershey was on the same conveyor belt and almost had her teeth ripped out the same way this guy did. I mean, um, I'm and, just and, saying. And now. Must be a similar conveyor. <sighs> I, I'm glad her teeth get didn't. Didn't? Yeah, His definitely. teeth got ripped out, but hers didn't. Great. Yeah, and his, Hershey, and, and his mouth, good job. His, his mouth is bandaged and he can't talk um, Well, I mean, he did get that. the bottom half of his mouth yep. fucking ripped out. Absolutely. So Dredd orders his body scanned and then rides out to do some investigating. At the yeah. Oh no. Please. At 
At the Eddie Poe Clinic, Dredd's talking to Cole Robbie's old boss. He died just after being fired for being incompetent. Hmm. He's caused a whole bunch of accidents. We see in a flashback him dropping a bunch of hearts in jars while looking at a lady's sweet behind. Not a good look. Yeah, the boss kicked him out and Kohlrabi was complaining that he'd never get another job if he got fired for cause, and that's not the boss's problem. A half hour later, though, the boss found Kohlrabi stumbling down some stairs and he died in his arms. Ah, oh, strange. It feels like cardiac arrest, but what could have caused that except for all of the weird drugs that we have that cause cardiac arrest? Yeah, as the story ends, Dredd gets a message that Kohlrabi had traces of curari in his blood. Yeah, sure. Curari's a real poison. Fox was using the poison arrows in Central and South America. Even a sure. tiny dose can cause heart failure, or like it's like a it like a paralyzes your lungs as well. It kills you pretty fast, though. Can you put um, it into an air vent and like, uh, I guess like make it a gas that everyone could inhale and potentially die from? I believe so. I believe it sure, can why be not? inhaled. But that's definitely sure, what happens not? here. Um, yeah, basically, they, they go to check the uh, their supply. And they see a, a, <laughs> a, a bottle missing, which is real bad. Um, and they track his movements back to the uh, maintenance ducts. And the vents discharge every day at 11 a.m. It's 10.50 when Dredd arrives. And he oh, no. and the boss can only look on in horror as the clinic expels a black cloud of death. Ah, oh, Robbie. The uh, Kohlrabi wakes up to see the angry face of Dredd staring at him. Who then immediately punches him in the face. 717 people died because of this perp's action. Dredd punches Kohlrabi in the face, spilling blood everywhere for the premeditated murder against the people of this city. My people, I hereby sentence you to death. And he shoots Kohlrabi in the back. <laughs> Not coming back this time, buddy. So what I find impressive about this entire storyline is he had to punch him in the face first. Oh, yeah. To have him feel all of the pain of just being punched in the face and then shot him through the Definitely. Got to Gotta work it out. I will say this is kind of a controversial Dread story, Fox, just because I can imagine. Um, we don't really see Dread do this very much. No, like, he doesn't really execute people especially yeah. from behind it's kind of interesting just because i feel like there is like a concept of when you say dread is judge jury and executioner that he not, would be like sort of sending sentencing people to death he's because kind of, their of rarely the executioner on the spot yeah i mean like it's funny because that is sort of how they open um the Judge Dredd movie, where oh. he, like 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 the Stallone movie, where he kind of runs down a guy's crime and sentences him to death at the end. But collateral damage is not shooting someone in the back or executing someone summarily. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, because yeah, because that's generally how I describe how when Dredd ends up killing people in the comics. It's, it's very super much super rare for him to yeah. shoot someone. I mean, he'll shoot someone if 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 you're shooting him or if you're in a chase but or that's something collateral. like that. Right, like yeah, you're shooting yeah. me, it's in, I'll shoot it's you in, back. Yeah, it's it's in the course of duty and stuff. But it, exactly, you know, if, generally, if he gets you dead to rights and you put cuffs on you, then you're going to the cubes instead and of instead also, of being like, executed. Seven hundred people. I mean, the dude's been through. I would say multiple, not genocides, but definitely like has seen or witnessed or been accomplice to 
thousands. Nah. Yeah, I mean, I, people. I see, I see your point, but I'd say counterpoint. The seventy seven hundred and seventeen is a lot of people to have oh, it's killed a lot. directly a lot. through don't, your actions. Don't get me wrong; the guy should go to ISO, or at the very least, go to execution. I mean, even that, even that mock chalk guy that did the uh, that uh, that uh, that uh, got sentenced to be cryo frozen until they could cure his cancer. He killed oh, like a hundred right, people, so he could have you know? more crime time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, it's so, where I feel like he would have just gotten sentenced as opposed to shot in the back. It, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. It's an interesting. Yeah, it's a weird or an unusual move here, and it feels something like I don't know something weird about Alan Grant making making an interesting choice here. I guess versus or, the back an half where one. he makes us absolutely feel feelings. Yeah, here we go. So Alan Grant stays with us in, on writing as Cliff Robinson takes over on art for kind of a sad dread story here. We Super open with an. Sad. Yeah, we open with an incident report where Dredd, in pursuit of some violent perps, uh, accidentally ran down a woman right in front of her son. This is deemed to not be any kind of violation by the Justice Department and no action is taken. And yet immediately we go into a child's tale where with children-esque drawing and children-esque yeah. writing, we then see this child's rendition. Yeah, Robinson does a really good job, actually, of it's drawing in, in, in a childlike style here. But yeah, we get a more in-depth view of the situation, as well as just some general feeling of life in Mega City 1. When the mom's killed, the kid goes into a rage. He, like, cries and beats on Dredd's legs and stuff. And Dredd just kind of passes the kid off to a random citizen and heads out. From this child's recollection, by the yep. way. Like, in their words, in a child's words, he, uh, the whole thing is so... We haven't seen something like this. Like, it's so pure yeah. and angry. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, this is yeah, the definitely. first thing I read when I read this comic today. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and the kid's really traumatized by it. It seems like um, he kind of talks about how mm. he's he's mad um, and sad all the time. He's confused about what this world is, how the law can kill his mom, and, like, nothing really happens they because can break it. the law, but they are the law. How is that a thing? Maybe good people can break the law. Trying yeah. to make sense of what he saw. Yeah, he wants his mom back. You know, it's sad because um, – and we see that all these pictures are being uh, uh, looked at by Dredd as the kid, Billy Lovage, is in a solitary – is in a juve cube. All he had was his mom, so now he's an orphan. He's not ready to rejoin the world yet. Uh, Dredd but, seems to have taken an interest yes. in him, but meeting meeting this kid will only mess him up more. And this was basically from what just other people said, right? Like you oh, yeah. see this interest from Dredd, like yeah, I mean, it's a you it's know maybe I should meet him face to face and kind of like actualize this. And this the, the, particular the person or whatever is like like no like, way, no, do not go anywhere near him. Which maybe is the right thing, maybe not. I but mean, I think this more than the previous feeling. story. Yeah, is another sort of brick in this wall of dread feeling differently about things. He's that changing. we've seen building forward. Yeah, exactly. Um and also but also this story, um, like because this is a, another citizen driven driven mad by dread in particular, it reminds exactly. me a lot of both uh the full mental jacket story from four eighty one. Like yeah. the, those uh, gang guys. 
and then the uh, the dread syndrome story. It's kind of funny to think of like this kid being here, and then a, fl- a few floors up, there's a whole ward of people that have been driven by, oh, driven insane right. by the their woman fear who's of like dread. Literally and, and cannot. Yeah, she has, has constant dreams of dread being of dread arresting her for dropping a, a thing of jam on the street. You know, so stuff what, like what's that. crazy to me is I think that he can handle the dread ward. This is me going out on a limb, mm-hmm. but he could probably handle the dread ward better than I killed someone in the line of duty and it affected someone. They're not scared of me. Well, it's interesting they... because. Yeah. Yeah, please. Well, I was going to say it's interesting because the dread ward was a couple years ago. It was like exactly. maybe like four years ago or something. And in that one, dread says like, oh, that like, listen, it's a bummer, but that's just the cost of um, of but justice this, no. of justice in the city. But with this one, he's much more. Um, yeah, he's much more conflicted about it. I think it's an interesting change. Just tighter one to one kind of thing here. Exactly. Tighter boots aren't working. Ooh, we'll see. Um, so let's move on now. To um yeah he's cracking up anyway uh so next up we got uh, John Maybe. Wagner and Liam Sharp um yeah so now we got John Wagner and, and Liam Sharp the confessions of PJ Maybe my boy in the Hall of Justice our buddy PJ age fourteen is locked down a thousand different machines attached to him and, as Judge Dredd starts an interrogation and quite frankly even through the whole thing pretty like yep very affable yeah absolutely very just calm mm-hmm. No problem. Yeah. So we learned PJ stands for Philip Janet because his parents wanted a girl. He's admitting to the murder of Alger Haas and oh, I 13 mean everybody. others. Yeah, yeah. 13 other murders. This stuns Dredd, but the techs were both ladies and weirdly uniformed because one has two plain shoulders and one has two eagle shoulders. Right. Like, I, I saw that and I was like, what's with the pine cones? Get it, get it together, Liam. Come on. But uh, they confirm he's telling the truth. And it seems that since we last saw them, the maybes have come up in the world. They got a fancy ma- mansion complete with a gym where well, PJ's girlfriend, Liana, can massage well, him in a revealing heat like bathing the, suits. The chick that he kind of, I mean, I won't say coerced, but definitely no. like there wasn't well, really another option. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, first he machinated the death of her boyfriend by getting him to wear copper pants mm. and go sky surfing. And then he was like, oh, that's too bad about your boyfriend. By the way, I'm extremely rich. Would you like to uh, fly in my hover car? And she was suddenly like, sure, he realizes like, oh, well, we'll get there. But like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> suddenly his dad shows up. It's a disaster. The Haas mm. bros have stole the contract to manufacture trousers for the judges. Without that contract, they're in serious trouble. And I mean, it's Liana an important contract. Is, yeah, well, Liana is clearly not blue, into but not quite black, but not quite blue, but not quite black. Black with blue highlights. <sighs> it's yeah. very difficult. Liana would clearly not be into PJ if he doesn't got that dough. So he's got to do something. Back in the present, we're running over PJ's crimes, both the bug story from Prague 534 and the murder of the Yes family from the 590s, which you can see in our episodes 168, 176, and 177. Oh, I mean, he's extolling on everything he's done so far, which is exactly why I don't think he's going to go to the cubes. Mm. He's got some kind of plan here. I love this cliffhanger. Luckily, PJ's new money means that he can do chemi- he, he can really do heavy chemistry to mess with the hosses. <laughs> and he brews a new mind control glove. potion. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that. that that's you know it's high tech, man, because that's like the craziest of tech gloves. <laughs> um, 
but he brews a new mind control potion, SLD-89, and here's Fox where I mentioned that in our last PJ Maybe story. Mm. Um, the previous version of this was SLD-88, and mm-hmm. that may have been a reference to the 1988 social and liberal Democrat leadership election, which is a UK co- uh, uh, politics joke, and I'm just going to mention and leave uh, it there because I don't okay. want to – I don't understand anything further into it. I anyway, don't know what that means. Is SLD I mean, Mark II like more of that? Who cares? I, well, Keep going. I mean, yeah, I mean the it's it's eighty nine, so it, that could just be a reference to the year or something that's coming out or something like that. Whatever. Um, and yeah, reference. Th- th- there's a reference there. Feel free to <laughs> expand upon it if you want to. If you're in the know, so you can get more joke, more laughter How out of it. I don't know. Even learn about this. Someone told me. You know, this is very much a, uh, a somebody uh, told. Like, you like no big. No, you had a no girlfriend who looks like your boyfriend from February of last year. Or? Uh, now who's be, now who's the killer, Fox? Look now man, who's the it's killer. It's not confidential that I've got potential. <laughs> All right, please continue. No, I was going to say that it it, it it was one of these things where um an episode comes out and someone sort of taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, "By the way, that was a uh, that was a UK reference." <laughs> you like, missed okay. you missed a long pause as you push. The glasses up your nose. Um, it was a I, UK reference. I appreciate uh, being told, but it is like you know, I, I never know, and it's I, just I just never. I don't like. To I miss mean, them. like zero. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a foreign, like you know, two two nations are fired by a foreign language, Fox, as we always say. But if it so, was not for you, I would literally never know. <laughs> I mean, this was my first go through of reading it was just sort of sometimes there's these wacky things. And now I'm learning that, oh, yes, these wacky things are actually a reference to some political thing at the moment or some um, like a TV show or commercial or something that uh, Brits were watching at this time. It's not just children saying that they love cowboys and dinosaurs. Ah, oh, listen. Well, I mean, by this sneak by this point, by this point, they'll everyone listening to this will have already heard our redone uh, prop Ooh. one episode. So listen, this could be real good. We haven't recorded it yet. I'm very excited. Anyway, so SLD eighty nine Fox makes you highly susceptible to hypnotic suggestion, leaves no trace. Ooh. He dokes as one of the hospitals with it. And then heads out, satisfied on a job well done. And why not use it on Liana, buddy? Because answer, because that's I gross. Mean, Don't like it. I know you killed a, a dozen people, dude. but that's still real bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next time, more confessions. I mean, he kind of fed that guy some candy that had it inside. Yeah. Who just no. eats random candy from a child? That's the I mean, last maybe, place I'd eat candy. It's like he probably you touched knows, it and you're a child. And he might know this kid just because they probably go to like – he probably tags along with his parents to like important pants parties and things like that. Listen, man. As someone who has like observed my nieces and nephews and my younger sisters bringing home candy from Halloween, I don't know how it's possible, but the whole thing is covered in jam. So you oh, take you that candy, take- you're going to be like – this is gross, weird candy that a child is giving me. You don't take, like you don't take uh, uh, candy from an adult, you should not take strange candy from a child. See, I think you know this kid, so you would kind of do it. By the way, Fox, a pants party, also known as a trouser tea. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> like, like golf joke? T-E-A, I'm thinking. Ah. L- listen. Well, like while tea, you were talking, a, a, a trouser tea party. 
Exactly. While, while, while you were talking about kids with candy, I went on thesaurus.com and tried to find a T word <laughs> for party. That was all I could do. You know, I massively appreciate your, uh, your commitment to the art. Yeah, you know, I do my best. And uh, while we're talking about, <laughs> about fancy parties, Fox. Oh, I mean, I'm into it. Thrill to Zenith. So would our superpower when we went to the party be that we had amazing endurance? Or would it be that we have incredible intellect, but only about a very specific thing? I mean, I you, mean, my- not me. I mean, my power would be that I have foreknowledge of all future events related to these characters, Fox. I know what's going to happen with, the, with the, how this plan goes. <laughs> I mean, that feels like it would be applicable to Mr. No Clothes and Cape. Be helpful. Uh, script robot for Zedith Grant Morrison. Art robot Steve Yolig about Gordon Robson and his kid. Fox. My, my superpower oh. would be that uh, I know the green cross code and a lot of these people could learn how to cross the street or at the uh, very least the time stream hashtag Rosenbridge, whatever so the one fuck the, you want to call it. So you're one of, so you're kind of like the X-Man rogue where you have a power, but you also hate the power that you have. No, I just mean that I'm probably a highly paid celebrity that tells you to look both ways before you cross the street. I don't think da- I, David Prowse seems like a cool dude, but I feel like <laughs> he was gettable. I feel like I feel like of the of the celebrities that make up Darth Vader, David cool. Prowse is very much of the lower tier. Axis Mundi, Alternative Twenty Three, big old tower of the, with spires all around it and all the that fuck stuff. Fuck is Axis Mundi? It's the axis on which the Earth turns. Mundi means world, buddy. We saw this place briefly in the '88 Winter Special, and that's in. And then we also got a big old info dump about Zenith's mm. personal history, and he is not impressed by any of this. Quite seriously, I take uh, Zenith's point of view on this. I get it. There's a bunch of shit in what we're what Conrad's about to say. I love it. 100% I'm excited. However, I take Zenith's point of view 10,000%. <laughs> I is, fucking hate. Uh, this. The, phase three is where I really fucking start hating Zenith. <laughs> phase three is quite literally my favorite part. Oh, for so many. Okay. Yeah, Please no, continue. Go. So, so oh, uh, I love it. He's not impressed by any of this. He thinks the tower is boring and the term alternative for different realities sure. is dumb. He's also pissed that no Peter Sinjin and Ruby... And he also thinks Peter Sinjin and Ruby Fox is here and he's pissed about that too. Like, oh, you travel to another dimension? Uh, and it's always people you know. His whinging is interrupted by Mantra arriving who we met at the end of the last phase and of the winter special. <laughs> who then says, like, take this seriously. And he's like, hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, she takes them through the tower talking to Sinjin as she goes. She seems very stoked to meet him, but he's sort of like not that impressed. I mean, she's, she's team- super hard on literally the dude who is working for Margaret Thatcher. Well, yeah, I mean, because she kind of like she kind of like talks about like their connection. And he's like, oh, we might have well, had a connection 20 years she's ago. She's gravitating I was towards literally anybody who's going to talk to her who is not. Not talking to her. I mean, Mantra is also extremely powerful, for the record. Sure, but, um, but so clearly she's... not very smart. That's the bad guy. You don't know that. Way. I mean, kind of. I mean, he's a bad guy kinda... in Earth politics, but he's like, a this is bad guy in his. Inter... This is interplanetary specific. politics. It's yeah, a whole yeah. different just thing. Just his specific world, which is a number. 
Who cares? Yeah, so she doesn't care that much. There was a funny thing. <laughs> there's a funny thing in the uh, in the winter special where she's where she talks about the you know, like I forget what 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 Earth's alternative is, what, what, whatever that one is. But she says it, it's funny with those guys; they're either hippies or yuppies. And so she just kind of sees oh, and she Sinjin. hates being called a hippie. Yes, yeah, and she that's doesn't where like. It, and no, it carries over to this whole thing, which I love. Yeah, but she doesn't like either end of the spectrum, and so that's why she's interested in Mantra because of his power, and doesn't care that he's now made the yuppie transition. Anyway, I mean, uh, she's he's all- not a lalagalala, so I guess that's Ligor. net positive. All right, attempt five Ligor, on the really like Liger. How do I say it? L L I G O R I L L I G O R Ligor Ligor. What do you want it to be? You want it to be Ligor? Because I'll call. I'll call it that if I can continue this sentence, Fox. Liger. Sixth attempt. She's also teammates with uh, with, with Archie. They're both from the from the show uh, Black from the team Black Flag, which is an anarchist superhuman group from Alternative Eighty Three. Someone's been to university. Oh. Come on, I they, had to. They get on a lift down to a giant cavern, giant stalactites in the ceilings, a whole bunch of costume superhumans on the ground. I'll try to identify the folks that we see here if they have speaking lines, but I can't stress enough that if you're interested, you should check out the scorecard at internationalhero.co.uk for a complete breakdown on these super bros. Uh, but Mantra also, ex- it's just kind of a great looking scene. It's one of my favorite oh, yeah, it's cool. art Absolutely. pieces for the entirety. As oh, yeah, this big, like, bubble. cavern full of all these different superheroes and stuff. It's awesome. Mm. So, um, blah, blah, blah. Mantra explains uh, briefly that um, uh, uh, about the Ligor, these, again, inter- interdimensional sort of Cthulhu-esque beings try to conquer, trying to conquer all the realities. And here we are in the crowd. Who, who Z- in Zenith's world, by the way, yeah. conquered – Maximan. Well, yeah, I mean, they were sort of the power behind the Nazis and had Maximan cr- or had so, Masterman, I should say, created to house one of their Ligor bodies. So this is where, uh, or the Maxi- moment where Maximan wasn't involved with the Ligor. He fought the not, Ligor and was killed by them, uh, by one, or almost killed, but then they were me. both nuked. It, it's more that uh, even in Zenith's world. All mm-hmm. the dumb shit that's happened to him, or the side project where Virgin Cola didn't launch a nuclear weapon to purge deliciousness from London. I mean, had, more to threaten London so they could take control of the Earth or destroy so they London. Could, so they could a, make Mountain Dew the clear winner of whatever. Uh, like, even in Zenith's world, these things have happened. They've happened in different ways, and suddenly you start realizing, like, oh, yeah, it happened in this. What I love about all of the setup for the kind of 629 episode is, of course, he's nonchalant. It's fucking Zenith. He's a huge cock. It's a cock end. Like, who gives a fuck what he says? But there are tidbits that kind of – there are some comics in this – in these progs yeah. who pull from stuff other people have done and try to make meaning. And there mm-hmm. is stuff like Zenith, which has a very clear meaning and is there is a through line that is starting to, at least for me, come into appearance. It's pretty rad. Okay. Yeah. And then a naked man comes down with a cape and says he's Max Man. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, okay. So, 
We're here in this cavern. Uh, in the crowd, Zenith is greeted by Steel Claw. We've actually met a version of Steel Claw Fox in the annual. We did. Yeah, he oh. was one of the leg- he was one of the legacy comics. He was in Valiant. Yeah. He was the comics Va- Valiant and Vulcan for many years, and it was this guy with a metal hand that did secret agent and stuff. Treated basically the same way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he kind of well, he, yeah, he kind of did su- secret agent stuff with this metal claw. Uh, briefly, he had a superhero suit, and that's the version of him we're seeing here. Um, Steel Clog thinks Zenith is a, is a guy named Vertex, and Zenith just starts laughing at the top of his lugs about how ridiculous everything is. Or everyone here is at best ridiculous, if not a collection of sex criminals, especially this version <laughs> of the leopard from Lime Street so, that we see incidentally dr- getting a drink at the bar. So He's just minding his own business, Fox. <laughs> that is literally. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so, that was my favorite part of six twenty nine. You're, you're good. Now let's go on to sad things some, that actually some make guys me just, feel feelings. Some guy in a, in a cat costume is just sadly like drinking some punch or something. It's a bummer. Um, I mean, I feel sure- like anybody who was a cast character in Cats did the same at some point. It's fair, yeah. So Mantra yells at him for rejecting the premise of this whole story that he's involved in. <laughs> like, play along, <laughs> asshole. Jesus. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, and 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 basically tells him to stop being a jerk. And as she does, Maxi Man appears. It seems in this reality he survived the nuke on Berlin, and now he's floating in with a cloak and bandaged eyes. He looks pretty cool to me, but I'm pretty sure Zenith is going to say that he's that would say that I'm pretty lame myself. I, um, in a in a way, I feel like because I feel like you. Anyway, please. I feel like that the way that you wrapped that up, which is just stop making fun of this, was the part that I loved about 629 being so self-aware, but also trying to change the... mm, Well, it's trying to change how you're thinking about... Like, I mean, the dude just talked someone out of not destroying London, right? Yeah, but I mean, listen, like, you know, not to not to put us in danger of another three-hour podcast, Fox, but like, I really like, I'm really, I really don't like what Zenith is doing here, because like, because it, it really reminds me of times when I've been like, I don't know, playing D and D or something like that, dismissing, and someone, completely. yeah, and someone has decided that some, you know, they're going to play D and D, but they're going to play it in such a way as to be a real, like, sort of just point out that everything's fake. And like you know, they aren't going along with anything, or like 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 improv games like this too, just sort of like other stuff, but like pretending just kind of like, to be that they're in character versus yeah, the like we're trying to person who's trying to push things along. I'm there with you. Like, like we're tr- I think that he is detached <laughs> in a way that is in yeah. character, but is the worst part of his character. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd say that you know, if you were pl- if you were playing a D&D game and someone was like this and said this is my character, then I think the response is that's a bullshit character. You got to work on this. But with Zenith, Correct. like it's the point and so it's more sort of like, you know, you like and and it, and it, it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about uh last time. 
with where we're sort of part of this of of this phase three is sort of taking the piss at, mm. out of these um big crossovers and stuff. So you know, it does okay. make sense that if you were a real person, you suddenly saw a bunch of people dressed like superheroes. That might be pretty silly. And like the object, and like you know, this is like this section is the is a big part in like say Crisis on Infinite Earths, right? The um, uh, there's a bunch of like giant. Um, like two page spreads of just you know of just we're in the watchtower and everybody from every reality is here so you know, so two big crowds of supermen and stuff and so you know on the one oh. hand it sort of is like this is the point we're sort of like doing some doing some parody of this stuff but on the other hand mm. uh, the part of me that wants to get things going is also like oh but you know like come on like can't you just play along can't you just go with it to you be know. clear he <clears throat> is my least favorite part of all of the story that's going on mm. and absolutely maxi man for all of the weird dialogue and like diatribe that literally defines 630 to 632 is my favorite part it's pretty crazy because yeah, so, less yeah. yes because exactly because it's crazy because yeah. it's crazy and it's interesting and it sets a a story it sets a tone it sets a world as opposed to zenith who is literally we know his superpower is just to talk to a dude and tell him not to do a thing instead of beating him up that's his superpower i mean that's more of his personality i'd well, say because no, he can fly I would say and that super strength that is stuff. his superpower whereas right, but that's that's most very of much his a, personality uh, is literally vapid and horrible see, and i hate it that feels like defining a superpower the way you define superpowers when you're trying to do a self-esteem project for third graders. But any like, <laughs> but I I understand I understand what you mean. I understand what you mean. Um, anyway, oh, Maxi Man fantastic. floats down. He's talking weird. Here's how he opens, Fox. I am Maxi Man. Maxi, yes, man, which is not to say my real name, not at all. Pad. I, well, and by terms, Mr. Whitlock, Mr. Odin, Mr. See No Evil. Mr. Whoopsie Daisy. He's been in isolation for a long time, and Zenith is positive he's both mad and naked under his cloak. I mean, um, he says that he's been in isolation a long time. Zenith suddenly interrupted by goddamn Vertex, who's who I want to hang out with, and because <laughs> she's ultimate... super sick and also yeah. bald. No, that's that's mantra, oh, no. dude. Vertex, Vertex, Vertex is, is the alternate form Zenith with the from... V instead of the Z, and he's super nicer than him. Yeah, oh, that's no, what I'm trying to Vert... say. Yeah, that he's was my so joke. Much better, blowing up my spot. Sorry. <laughs> No, no worries, buddy. Um, this like I, I love it because Vertex both seems like a nice guy, and meeting him seems to stun Zenith into into silence, which lets Maxi Man get to talking about the the alignment here. To quite literally, teach him that he's a huge asshole. Exactly. <laughs> so basically, Fox, there's all these alternate realities. They move around in just kind of a wibbly wobbly, timey wimey kind of greater space beyond I mean, what we can perceive. And between the things that are happening are infinite spaces in which potential things can happen. So Yeah, live it up. Now know. suddenly maybe there's an alignment of all the things yeah. that could potentially happen and this is Yeah, all hey the man, realities listen, Pat in Mills, this... you're doing a good you're doing a good job here. Grant Morrison. Or Grant and Morrison, excuse me. These, Pat yeah. Mills I will shit on later. 
Come on, all these all these realities in this wibbly wobbly timey wimey space are about to come into a precise alignment, and we're calling that the omnihedron. What will happen when the when this occurs? Absolutely no one knows, but it can't be good because we know that the Ligor are extremely stoked about it. I mean, um, we kind of know, in which case a VHS tape is actually a coin that we put in a machine so that we well, see how a we know, USSR agent kind of feels about a thing. Well, we know um, that we shouldn't be st- – that if the Ligor are happy about it, then we shouldn't be happy because they, they're bad guys, as we'll get to. Sure. So the Omnihedron is going to come in a month. We got to do something about it. He summoned the team Black Flag to help him with this stuff and then talks about Alternative 257, where the hero Hotspur, possibly a double reference for an evangelical character called Hotshot and a DC's Thompson comic called the Hotspur, was possessed by a Ligor and killed a whole bunch of other heroes. 257 is lost. And at the same time, so was a. Alternative six six six, which we saw in the prologue to Zenith Mark Three. I mean, there's, I have I have things to say about this when we get to the end. Yeah, there's a representative from six 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 here, Big Ben, who's a very large dude with a mustache and kind of a Stalin vibe, but who's also very clearly based on DC Thompson's stalwart, Desperate Dan, who's one exactly. of the big figures in UK comics. I know. I know Desperate Dan. All right. So you can it's see, a, like, whatever. It's a, it's a thing reference I know. Because <laughs> my grandmother gave me those comics. Yeah. Like, I feel like Desperate Dan and uh, UK Dennis the Menace are the two pi- pi- uh, pillars well, of so British like Dennis comics, the Menace uh, comedy made comics. Made trouble, whereas Desperate Dan got into trouble. These <laughs> the comics I had. Yeah, so I, I haven't read very many, very much of any of them. Sorry, you know, I'm I'm reading 2000 AD. Someone else can do a Beano podcast. <laughs> all right, there's twice Get as many it. Beanos as there are 2000 ADs. All right, are so you fucking you for real? There are some just, more Beanos than they hit like issue four uh, thousand last I, year. I think. I don't even know how to deal with that information. Yeah, freak out. No, no fun at please the, don't uh, make Bean me do Spinner a two thousand podcast. <laughs> Bean Spinner. Oh, um, Ben blaze, blames himself for the horrors visited on his alternative, and there's a tape detailing what those are, which is what we saw Johnny Quick getting out last episode. Maxi Man now plays it. The narration because quite bot- literally, yeah. that dude will not talk about it. So Maxi Man just plays the tape of what that guy didn't want to talk about. Also, yeah. like Maxi Man, don't be a dick. Listen, that's he's got to get down to brass tacks. We see the narration boxes for this one are all in quotes. We hear the voice of another world describe their planet after the Ligor took over. Again, this part is very super sim- people who literally were not like the best. They were kind of coming up and yeah. got destroyed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll say this part again is very similar to the London scenes in Miracle Man, which I can't yes. recommend enough. Um, people are tied up with barbed wire, so I'm still alive, strung from telephone poles, massive clouds of blinded birds blunder about the countryside, all for fun by these abominations of evil characters. We see the speaker, a man in a black costume wandering the wreckage. He meets with Tiger Tom and Tammy, who we met last time, find them in a state of shock and badly injured, respectively. This guy is Prince Mamba, apparently based on the character <laughs> King based. Cobra from the Hotspur. Uh, most of England has been destroyed, the few remaining defending an Einstein-Rosen bridge. And um, you I should- see the character who 
kind of um, presented this information but could not talk about it. This, yeah, Big Ben, because he's so traumatized by what exactly. he saw. Exactly. He could not talk about what he saw. Yeah. We see some dead bodies with some bikes strewn about and hear things about the Z riders fighting. And those are probably the dead bodies and a reference to the uh, story Q bikes that was in the Beano. Uh, Mamba passes the tape to Tom, who will pass to Jimmy Quick. And, and uh, then will in turn pass it on to the cavalry. This world is a nightmare. And Mamba talks about how like, you know, like evil geniuses, bank robbers he can handle. But this is something different and extremely terrifying. That's world six six six. Yeah, the sky's full of blood and dirt, and Mamba isn't sure he can handle it. He feels like a coward and heads off with and heads off into the into the night with pills that he'll use to kill himself if things look like trouble. We see him moving so down an alleyway. Dark. It's dark, yeah, seemingly. But as he moves, we see him going straight into the waiting gaze of Miss Wonderstar, who we saw last episode, who's one of the Ligor. So is he inducted? Is he not? We don't know. As we pull the coin out, yeah, and that's the suddenly Maximan begins to wax philosophical in his bizarre gibberish. Yeah, to the, the long, yeah, the long and the short of it though is that it's been a year since that tape was made. A year for the Ligor to run rampant over that whole world. So the point is, why is Maximan brought us here? Because we we got a plan, and the plan is that. We got to stop this omnihedron to to prevent the alignment so that other worlds can be spared the pain and destruction of a Ligor conquest. But the only way to do it is that the heroes is that two teams of heroes must travel to alternatives 257 and 66 and destroy those worlds completely every living thing upon them. So while we will move on to 632, I honestly think that people should read Maximan's kind of bizarre Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's manifesto? one of these things where it'd be hard for me to really like, or I don't want to you read can't. just straight How out of the thing. How can you? Because it's, it's literally intangible like 90%, but it sets a tone for this messiah for all these people. They're waiting for this dude, and he just says weird but specific gibberish. <laughs> yeah. Presumably he's extremely powerful as well. So that's why they're kind of letting him go despite being well, crazy. I, uh, from what I've read, um, the way he's writing, he's talking is a reference to um, a, a character in a novel as well. But I, I forgot really? to write down which one that was. So I'll have that information next episode. So it's um, kind of like a, a meter that he's talking. Yeah, about. exactly. So, yeah. So sorry. So I do know that, you know, just uh, whatever. I'll, I'll have the info. So, Meanwhile, Fox, at the same time, at Axis Mundi, Ruby Fox is wandering the caverns when she hears a voice and then sees two naked glowing figures, one male, one female, calling her name. Love naked glowing figures, you know? Always. Good times. Meanwhile, the supers are talking over Maxi over Maxi Man's plan as Zenith takes a nap. He seems to have skipped most of this stuff. It seems pretty extreme, but Mantra doesn't seem any other choice, and the Omnihedron is an extreme threat. Suddenly, there's a plink, and Einstein Rosen Bridge, and something coming through. At the Who's same time, this Ru- weirdo. Yeah, at the same time, Ruby is talking to the figures. I believe these are the ones that have been taking you around to the other realities. I, be- I well, think we've seen them before. Um, yeah, like we, yeah, in, these are in small glimpses. Yeah, definitely. very specific places. Well, 
I mean, we've seen gro- I, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure these are the ones that were showing them around that reality in Zenith Phase Two, where there were, where people were bullfighting T Rexes and stuff like that as They've well. They've never shown up but, to specifically save Zenith. Well, Let no, me say that. Zenith is doing his own thing, you know, but they've been sort of in the background and doing other stuff. Um, but now it seems they've suddenly gotten much younger. They've gotten young and beautiful and glowing again. One of them, David, we've seen this character a couple times because when he's young, he just looks exactly like Jim Morrison. Mm. Um, <laughs> it it really? seems they be yeah, like that. Like we we've seen this character a couple times, but I mean, like this glowing version looks exactly like Jim Morrison on that One Doors album. Um, I, yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. Um. Anyway, um, it seems they've realized how powerful they are, and to do that, they've thrown their humanity behind. The universe is Potter's clay in our hands. They say, "Take off your clothes and listen, buddy." I think we've all heard that before. Back I mean, in the main area, the figure <laughs> comes through the bridge. It's Hotspur. He's one of them. And suddenly, Marvel's Civil War begins. Ruby wonders if what they're about to do will hurt, and Hotspur says, as Hotspur says, he burned his devils out of himself. It'll hurt a you bit, they say. You just say a bunch of stuff that no one really understands, and then you explode and kill a bunch of people. Ruby wonders if it'll hurt, as Hotspur says, he burned the devils out. It'll hurt a bit, they say, as Hotspur falls to the ground. Um, and as Hotspur falls falls to the ground, repeating that he burned them out, smoke rising from his body. Ruby screams in a flash of bright light as Mantra asks the others to get his armor off. Ruby recovers as Mantra checks his mind. It's like hot iron, but he's cast off the Ligor. Ruby talks to herself. She's young again. She looks at sort of her young hand and stuff. Um, Hotspur's armor comes off. He's got a giant cross cut into his chest. Ruby delights at her youth as Hotspur praises the Lord. Next time on Zenith, Bob's full house. <laughs> Sorry, so you were saying, so how so is this I, character similar to Civil War, I guess? So I, uh, so where, where I started drawing parallels, uh, I have not read, as I set my water cup down, I don't read comic books much. I used to read Marvel a lot. Uh, when Civil War came around, it was specifically about a guy, uh, a mutant, I think, uh, named Nitro, who, under duress, decided to explode some people who no one knows and a bunch of children during the same time that there was a potential referendum on superheroes and mutants kind of giving up their identity. Right. I thought that the referendum or whatever happened as a result of that because it was a big tragedy. So, so it it was pushed farther forward. It was kind okay. of being discussed so, yeah, sorry, more I don't because care, yeah. of that destruction. But so what does this character have to do with this with that guy? So this kind of change when it's just here's a guy, he explodes or there is a problem and thusly by consequence change happens is not necessarily civil war, but it is a trope by which I mean, that just sounds like a storytelling trope. Like some guy so, does something so and change it, happens. It, it I don't does. know. It seems kind of generic to me, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it is it's, generic 
to you because it does not happen yeah. often. Sorry, yeah. It Sorry happens. for interrupting you, but so, so what is? Yeah, but so ha, so how is this guy similar to that Nitro character? I guess because is that guy quite like literally, really he's fire based and explodes. <laughs> but Hotspur isn't. I, we don't know if he's fire based. He's not exploding. He just like he. Like is a religious character who like, you know, carved a religious sign into himself to sort of free himself from the demon of, of the Ligor. I guess we haven't really seen him. He hasn't exploded or has fire, I guess. I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I definitely I don't call want to reject myself your thing. Hotspur it just seems different. when yeah. I invoke the energy animal of the Lynx. Right. What? Like, like clearly the man, if you're calling yourself Hotspur, it's not because of some random reason. It could be it's a Shakespeare literally reference. because of fire. I mean, he could be a hot-headed crusader, the way the character of Harry Pertz, a.k.a. Hotspur, was in Henry IV. It will be more explicit than that, I would guarantee. Absolutely. Hot-headed crusader, but fire. Okay, yeah. I, yeah, sure, sure. I mean... Or actually, maybe fine. you would... Fair, fair, you would actually <laughs> be the person who knew more than I me. don't... It's just I mean, that listen, when I've I never, read this, I, it yeah, was... No, definitely. It's... Yeah, it's it's like I haven't read I haven't really like I th- I, th- I think I've read that start of Civil War and I know the character you're, and I vaguely know the character you're talking about. I'm not seeing the connection, but if it's working for you, that's great. Like I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Like everybody does their stuff. Like to me, like it'd be similar if he like suddenly showed up and exploded and killed a bunch of people or something like that. I guess and maybe he did do that on his own reality, but we haven't seen that. Or if he was sort of the inciting incident of this Phase Three, like that'd be a real. I, I mean, guess he kind of was. That's but if we saw him, what I saw took him away the inciting from what incident. He did, but yeah, right. Like he screamed, okay. exploded, and so you suddenly think maybe maybe what Hotspur is doing here was an inspiration for Civil War. No, absolutely not. I think he just exploded okay. and a bunch of people died. I don't know who he exploded. Di- like Hotspur. He, I mean, he's like, what, yeah, yeah. They died? devote an entire panel. Tim exploding. I don't see that. I mean, no, they. I. I gotta disagree. I don't think anybody's died so far on Axis Mundi in this story. Maybe I don't know. Like, if you're getting real figurative about it, but I don't understand what you're talking about. I guess. Right. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be an asshole here. Like, I literally. Sorry. Like, I'm sorry, buddy. I feel, I feel good, like I'm. Man. No. I feel no, like no, I'm, no. I feel you like I'm, have, I'm. No, I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, can, I, I feel like I'm hey, negging hey, you. You and can like, have your I don't opinion. Wanna. No, no. Okay, yeah. We're not cool. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry, I'm. You're. You're making metaphors that are too much for me, but they sound. They they sound awesome, and that's what I'm interested in. Um. And speaking of people involved in awesome metaphorical situations, Fox. Thrill three slain. Script robot Pat Mills. Art robot Simon Bisley. Letting robot Steve Potter. Uh, so Bisley's again painting everything. These stories are in full color. I mean, absolutely we, gorgeous. Absolutely. But we also get these uh, – before the story starts, we get black and white uh, pages of the art and, and uh, the credits for the story with some, a little bit of extra comic or uh, content. Uh, this time we got portraits of the evil Megrim slash Maeve and her goblin assistant Robin. Oh, as as we're coming into the actual story, like the black and white covers, yeah, I love those. It's so gilded. Like, it feels like a Celtic knot. Yeah. But, no, they're, like, they're... literally messy. It uh, It's tangible, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's sort of like a like a Celtic illumination, like a combination of Celtic knot and, like, illuminated manuscript kind of yeah. thing going on in these, in these start pages. In the story, we rejoin Slain having an argument with the druid Cathbad 
Um, and he decides that he's sort of tired of Cathbad sort of uh, doubting his plan to recover all of the relics of the Earth Goddess. So he's going to hear it from the goddess's own mouth himself by magically climbing into the Cauldron of Plenty. As you do. Yeah. As he does, he passes a carving of the horn god Carnoon, but strangely feels no fear of him. He climbs a long way into the cauldron, reassuring himself that he must keep an open mind about things. Eventually, though, he reaches the bottom of the cliff and is at some kind of shore of an ocean which he dives into. Um, he avoids the – and as he does, he avoids the strange sea creatures within. He's following a thread of yearning and dread, entering a strange realm of the soul, under the sea. Slain is forced to retrieve a sword from a sea wreckage and fight a giant fish monster, even as he reflects on the importance and primacy of women within his life. Not just a fish monster, but kind of like a giant, spined, disgusting... It's got kind of a lionfish kind of look to it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he kind of talks about how he sees himself more as a consort to the true queen, the earth goddess, instead of an actual king. Um, and that he somehow this beast that he's fighting is also a representation of his ambition, maybe, or his desire for power and to be remembered. It's a very it's, weird kind of like I, I didn't get that connection. Weird fish, I, spiny, but also... Ambition? ambition. I mean, I, I'm I'm saying that because it literally says that in the narration. Yeah, boxes I know. Of the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's such a weird comparison because there are ways that you can show progressive ambition or lion or or yeah. tiger who beats the lion who beats the thing who beats the other thing. It's like uh, yeah, I mean, we but we, it's a we weird very much fish because he's in water, maybe. I mean, he we 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 very much had that previously. I think with that uh, trials of of a noon uh, storyline, yeah. you know. But I think so. We we can sort of take this a little bit as red. And I mean, this part is also very uh, Beowulf. If you remember that story, or if if you've read that one, uh, like I, when in the in the second part when Beowulf goes to fight Grendel's mother, he has to go underwater. When he has to go underwater to, into the cavern to, above yeah. water once he's. Out, yeah, I know. This, so this is uh, has sort of some rhyming is, elements of that as well. This is me kind of giving the the last part of of what I'll say away. This feels like Pat Mills trying to make a mythology that quite literally I have to read. Yeah, it's oh, listen, which is fine. He, listen, if you're interested in Pat Mills's mythology, Fox, I suggest you keep reading 2000 AD. We're gonna get it. <laughs> um. But so, yeah, so eventually, though, he slays this beast and comes out um, of the water on the other side in the garden of the Earth Goddess. He arrives at a pool. Um, she's covered in flowers as he asks her permission to seek her treasures and is mocked by the goddess's nymphs. The goddess asks if he's ready to pay the price for it to follow the way of the horned god. And Slain supposes so, but he's not really sure what the I, horned god is, what that means. I mean, but also she's like, you DTF. Well, I mean, she's, you know, when you're the young Earth goddess, you're always implying that, Fox. <laughs> Just like when you're the old Earth goddess, you're always implying uh, DTD, which is down to die because she represents the later part of a man's I life mean, and stuff. Or a human's life, maybe. has got to eat. Hey. Um, so he says he doesn't know. Um, and the goddess is impressed by this answer because it's truth and heads deeper into her cave to show him that. And more besides. So, part five of the of this uh, epic 
opens showing a Celtic warrior on a horse with one of those Gale Blog spears and a bunch of dead opponents around him. Slain and Danu, the Earth Goddess, walk through this dense forest as she explains I, I the horn the god Carnoon. Like animal that was trotting past as I was kind of scanning through. Yeah. As I was reading, I was like, why is he suddenly a weird looking centaur? Like, why did Slain get turned into that? Exactly so. I think it was, you know, <laughs> it's that, a weird thing to just Although, throw in front of my face when they're well, doing it's, a, a it's sexy because, talk at each other. It's because they're talking about the horned god, right? Mm. How he's not evil, but instead loyal to her and doesn't take things too seriously. She says he's the laughter in the woods as this funny, weird looking deer well, monster what I mean, runs by. I, and it sort of might be a way of saying, like, you know, this is an example of the silly things that the Horned God is a part I of. I mean, I get like it. That, Eventually, you know, Slain will be the old Horned God nature who is weird around. and disgusting and decrepit. And some other new attempt at the Horned God will destroy him. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but I mean, that's not sort of the point that we're getting at here, right? This, I feel like that weird creature was more sort of this, like, you know, the horned guy doesn't take things too seriously, so yeah, of when course. Let's be when silly and have fun. Yeah, when there's talk of um, of a sexy of a sexy destiny, there can also be crazy <laughs> monsters walking around. Uh, you know, uh, my favorite you know, destiny crazy is animals sexy walking destiny. Around. Yeah, I know, buddy. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but so... She sort of makes fun of sun heroes as opposed to, I guess, it's, it's not clear to me whether Slain himself would be a sun hero or if he's more of a, or if the horn god's like an earth hero or something I like that. I don't know if I'm like a sun hero or if I'm more like a, like maybe I'm like a forest hero or like a, like a moon hero. Moon hero is pretty dope. We, yeah, so she makes fun of of, uh, of uh, sun heroes, which may be opposed to the horned god, which may be more of an earth hero or something, because the horned god doesn't take things seriously and values peace and cooperation over war and strife. And because of that, he's the only one she can trust with her objects of power. We got some really co- fu- funny faces as Danny you sort of explains <laughs> the problems that a sun hero with her items would be like, 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 like the problems that would cause – and that she's not quite sure that Slain is uh, is easygoing enough to be <laughs> the Sun King she's it, looking for. Actually, that he gets it. Yeah, but she's willing to give Slain a chance while di- dissing Uko. And there's an aside saying this part of the story might have been written by Nest instead, because uh, you know Uko would probably not allow himself to be slandered in this way. And also because Nest is super rad. Yeah, of course. Danu offers Slain an apple, which he eats as she explains that the Horned God is representative of life, but not afraid of death. It's all a game, her sport. That's what life is. And and then they make out and they do it as a bunch of animals look on. (laughs) After this, we learn that the the Lord Weird Slaufek is the old Horned God, one that was unwilling to die after seven years and return to Danu. Slain has become... The new horned god, assemble the items, and bring Danu back to power in the world, or she'll destroy him and all he holds dear in the land of young will sink beneath the sea. Okay. No pressure. (laughs) You know, listen, it's like, there is no pressure. She's fine either way, but FYI for you. (laughs) I'm going to destroy your world if you don't make this right. Yeah. She pushes him back into the water, sending him to reality. She'll see him again in her many guises as mortal women, be it in the many guises in mortal women, be it the ones that you love, that humor you, or that betray you. Good I mean, times, she's also the earth. Weird times. So, bad times. She Good could times, be a volcano. Weird times. Yeah, listen. Volcano will mess you up. 
Like it's something to sort of keep an eye out for this sort this this very Pat Mills idea of women of the uh, of the archetype of woman not taking things too seriously and being extremely <clears throat> willing to betray you if it sort of uh, makes sense to her at the time. So I mean, or I, she feels like it. I what I like about the comic is mm-hmm. its open mindedness about. So many things you would not expect in 1989. Sure. Uh, you have to read all of it to get that. <laughs> That's the downside. So I feel like uh, there there is so much he is trying to say, but he's trying to say it in a way that uh, I think will get lost on a younger audience who will not read a box. Do you know what I mean? Am I being a crazy yeah. person? Well, I mean, you know, this like like the like this is really an example of the uh, of the aging 2080 audience, you know. Like strongly. I agree. Like this is this is very much a story that would be that, you know, you wouldn't put in front of an 8-year-old for them to understand, which is sort no, of that sort not of anymore. The, which is sort of imagined as being the low end of the age groups. That would uh, read the comic at the start. In front of fucking the horned god, there's no yeah. Way. <laughs> but like a 15 year old, or you know, for instance, that same eight year old in 1977 it, that's now 21. Yes. You know, like the that's a different awareness thing. of their of the readership makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they kind of yeah. I mean, I I I I think they're aware that they're sort of yeah that they can tell these older stories and stuff. You know, I mean, very much the younger. Younger folks w- would be reading like Eagle at this time or something like that. You know, there's still yeah, I feel like, you that. know, there, there's other stuff for <sighs> for that age group in 2008. He's becoming a bit more grown up. I honestly and feel that this is an there's, example. Of there are young kids comics now. Listen, we're talking about it. I just, I just mean you don't need to do uh, three paragraphs in two to three different boxes for six thirty-two. Let's say. The artwork oh, you is think fantastic. It's, it's too wordy Compel here. people to understand what you're trying to say. Don't just show something awesome. Compel them to understand what's going on. Judge Dredd did that right. earlier so, in this month. Sorry, you're saying you don't need to do those boxes, but you mean that like you don't have to, but it's cool they are? Or are you saying that those boxes I are superfluous? I am saying both that the art is fucking fantastic, but it says yeah. nothing about changing my mind. Whereas reading, well, we'll get there. We'll okay, fucking get there at the sure. at the end of this. So the next part of <laughs> Slain starts with a cyber Celt with a big mohawk and heads mounted on shoulder spikes. Um, again, actually, I, I agree with you, yeah, because listen, there's about to be so many words and amazing pictures coming up here. It's hard to recap without just reading it out. Exactly, um, you got it. Like it goes without saying, just because it's it, it is sort of has this reputation, but you should check out the Horn God. Um, I mean, and it's great writing. Fantastic yeah, and, and beautiful stuff. And as we're talking about it, actually, a new edition's just came come out. So you know, whatever. Ooh. It's an exciting time for a fancy horn god reading. Um, so Slain emerges from the waters of self, having learned that Karnun is hardly a demon, more a god of laughter and fertility. That he's only evil in the eyes of men who want to control nature. This revelation has made Slain free as he emerges from the cauldron. He tells Cathbad he's learned quite a bit about Danu, actually. And Cathbad is very worried about this. Meanwhile, mm. though, 
Ucko, our dwarf buddy, is following Robin, Megram's dwarf, and witnesses her taking a bunch of strange potions and passing out on a riverside. Then a goblin-y looking fellow arrives and carries her away. As she's taken, Megram Maeve reflects on her life. You know, the character's same name. Mm-hmm. Though, of course, this is all speculation by Ucko based on his knowledge of coming events. We've seen a bit of her training in the past in those early days of uh, – um, I recently put out a collection for Slain Warriors Dawn, those earliest Slain stories, and we see a bunch of of Megram in there as well. Um, And um, just like how when others were freaked out by the evil druid, she was intrigued by them and lusted for power. She was a quick study and soon became a major wish, witch and wanting power for herself, but not not to be a mother producing children or a bride. Uh, She became a bride to the great worm, the quickener bearing the sea of death. Well, this was actually to Krom Kruak, the uh, the evil uh, 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 worm thing. Or at least that was her plan until Slain came and disrupted it all. Then he stymied her again, keeping her from getting elected queen. And his <clears> new <throat> plan spells further problems. So she goes to meet Lord Weird Slaufeg, 20,000 years old, kept alive by the eggs of Krom Kruak, making cave paintings, gibbering in the dark, totally insane, the old horned god. And definitely kind of rotting a little bit. Oh, yeah, he's having a bad time. So we go into the to the final prog. A demon pits a rat out of a skull on the credits page. We see the cave paintings of Slaufeg, men hunting mammoths as a skeletal old man reflects on the dark centuries of his life. There's a fair amount, actually, in the text of references to time killer stuff here, of the Scythrall and their lusts for the souls of humanity yeah. and their connections to the great worm Krom Kruak. Um, he's trying to... Uh, Slaufeg's trying to recover his lost youth, his lost power, his connection to the Earth Goddess, but that's all gone. He falls to the ground as Maeve helps him. Slaufeg misses the old days and wishes for death, or maybe something else deeper, befitting his dark wisdom. Mm. But don't worry, Fox, he'll have his revenge, because he is the doorman at the gate of death. Maeve worries about Slane's ambition, and Slaufeg worries, uh, or, yeah... Worries that Slane could, in fact, still stop them with, um, you know, his his plans with the armies destroying the tribes of Danu and then the ice caps melting and sweeping the land of the young away in a baptism of death. But yes, Maeve <laughs> step in. Baptism of death. Good times. Maeve you know, will kill. You know, I love a good yeah. baptism of death. You know, what? What are you going to do? The other kind, like the no, normal just, kind, just the season. It's mainstream and lame, buddy. Um, but so they they come up with a plan. Maeve will kill Slane, but first. They must um, show that his ambition to unite the tribes must be discredited. They must discredit his ambitions. I mean, Slaufeg is confident Maeve can handle it, though it won't be easy. Um, You know, because she's been finding it difficult to say work a glamour on him. Because they've definitely had a 100% success rate, right? I mean, I don't know. She worked that... She worked that glamour on the previous king and managed to get him to, like, not fight back and give everything up and, like, put the tribes in the brink of extinction yeah, to the Fomorian Sea Devil. With the weird guys who made the skulls glitch, like, yeah. flow over there. She's yeah, been successful except for Slain. Like, Slain thwarted her multiple times, so now she's got to really step thing up, things up and figure, th- and figure things out. Plus, she's theorizing that maybe the glamour isn't working on Slane because he still loves Neve, which is an interesting tri- uh, side thing. But maybe she'll figure it out. Slane's stoked. He poses, he poses awesomely on a field of skulls as bats wheel overhead. 
Slain will die slowly as Maeve a- acts as midwife for his death. Ah-da-da! Gotta have a death, a death midwife before the death baptism, buddy. In the future... <laughs> Ucko writes, but his eyes are full of tears. Before the the death bat mitzvah. That's right. He remembers trying to warn Slain, but Slain wouldn't listen. And now Ucko breaks down, crying. Why, Ucko? What's wrong? Next time, the tragic truth. So I kind of, well, anyway, I thought that was kind of like in some kind of weird future. Yeah, it is. I mean, Oko's in the future writing about writing about these events. He's writing them in the past tense, like you know. I'm just making sure that I'm I'm getting the story. I feel like I know exactly what Pet Mills is putting down. Yeah, he's putting it down pretty thick. Yeah, we learned this last episode. Yeah, you know, he's like Mm. in this mystic realm of immortality, and he's sort of now recounting the adventures of his friend Slain back when Slain was like younger and was doing his thing. I mean, clearly he is not immortal in this place, but yeah. I mean, I don't get me to lying about who is and isn't immortal when you're in the time <laughs> beyond time and a I place mean, beyond places, Fox. He I, could I, very well be immortal within it, but he also got old because he lived in the real world doing stuff with Slain, and now he's sort of come in there because Ness seems young, moves. right? We've seen fair Ness moves. a couple times, and she doesn't seem like she's an old lady. Well, Ness doesn't age. She just gets vintage. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, listen, I'm familiar with these sayings as well, but like, listen, everybody, even the people that, that they say don't age, you can see them aging, buddy. Like, don't, I don't, don't age. believe those lies. Motherfucker. <laughs> okay, I don't want to get the photo comparison out, but listen. Oof. Speaking of coming back, Fox, let's go to non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Great. Bye. Which I'm referring to 629, The Resurrection Shuffle. Something stirs and recycle. Very specific title for a fairly generic up the nose dread cover so by McCarthy. Shiny up the nose dread yeah. cover. <laughs> In the nerve center, it seems Bert has been on tour of, on a tour of the Americas and it's messing up production schedules. There's pictures demanding Swifty's return and a dark warrior with some kind of torch slash feather duster weapon. Mm. Uh, leather letters ask for more feral. Request a, thar- a Tharg fan club. More uh, feral, really? Yeah, they want people really? like you know he's he's cool in that early nineties uh, way. All right, they want to know if uh, Glasgow is a Quaxon colony and compliment and they compliment Simon Bisley and or flowers. Just the concept of them. The hmm. prog ends with a very cool star scan by Jim Bakey with Dread doing a very Ron Smith as oh, combat strong crouch. Agree. Pulling his gun from his ankle holster. Yeah, it's awesome. Prog through 6.30. See no evil. Steve Yole paints an alternate maxi man. Definitely not Odin inspired. What with the blind and also the crow. Raven. Mm, Absolutely. Raven. I guess it's not a crow for the EU because crows wear kind of a small vest. So ravens are entirely black. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'll show you a picture. They wear cute uh, gray vests for feathers. I'm not even fucking with you. Oh, a vest of feathers. I thought like they might have be 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 putting clothes on these European birds. No, I mean, buddy. It, I don't know. like like actual crows have a I don't know gray vest. Okay, 
Yeah. It's the best I can explain it, man. I'm I know sorry. exactly what you're talking about. In the, in the nerve center, Tharg announces the return of Night Zero with Beyond Zero. There's a picture of a long-legged judge and uh, another Judge Jessica Rabbit. Oh, my. Letters involve an overwhelming urge to write to the nerve center, a count of every creep, drock, and grudge Dredd has ever said. And it seems a research lab is working on actual biochips. There are requests for not just more of the mixed column, but for it to be two pages long. For the record, though, because we've only seen one mixed column so far, I'm doubting the existence of this writer, Dan H. Gosforth. The prog ends with a pinup of Tharg's masterwork by Ron Smith. Bunch of characters in the sky, Rhapsody in Blue. There's a uh, there's, the, the, we see uh, floating the clouds above a th- uh, above a Tharg. There's uh, Dread, Anderson, Johnny Alpha, Nemesis, Swifty, and Rogue Trooper. It's cool to see Smith ver- Ron Smith versions of all these characters because many of them are ones he doesn't draw very often, mm. in my opinion. Proc six thirty one. Eat lead, Zeppelin. Kev Hopgood draws death from above as a balloon threatens the Beyond Zero team. I love this one. It's like an RPG yeah, source book or something. It's quite literally my. As I was reading Zero as my last comic for the night, mm-hmm. when this happened, I just leaned forward and said, what? <laughs> and then got <laughs> yeah, more invested into the thing because it was that sick. It was just awesome. It was exactly Absolutely. what I would want to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. In the Nerf Center, Thark seems stressed over some briefly lost art. There's pictures of Judge Axel Rose and a dark Judge Dentist. Letters ask if if uh, Greta on the Greedy is so is offensive to Tharg, uh, why the vote coupon has an image of a three-fingered scissors, and a very southern-voiced letter which compliments Rogue Trooper and provides a translation. It's like a American South, like a uh, Foghorn Leghorn style. Um, also, some dude's roommate used his prog as a placemat. Boo! Oh, that's fucked up. Midprog, ask and you will receive, I guess, as we get a 1.5 page mix column by Roxilla. I don't know, man. They talk about the band Cookie Crew and Depeche Mode and Metallica. Don't care. Let's keep going. Prog 632. Weirder, weirder, weird, weirder, weirdest. Simon Bisley draws the fanged face of Slaufeg. Mmm. In the nerve center, Tharg demands mature, sophisticated letters to match the recent content of the prog vis-a-vis that letter about music classification last episode, but people were not stoked about that. <laughs> Complain a little bit. There's a picture of a huge hand uh, of a hu- of the huge hand of Judge Big telling Purps to drop it. And indeed, we do get a letter complaining about the music classification, which also has a diss of the Swamp Things letters page, which, oh, man, I'm worried about complicated letter pages. Yeah, because and and I'm going to say this is something I'm actually kind of dreading about uh, our upcoming uh, Judge Dread magazine podcast, Fox, which is there are some of these more uh, highbrow comic books do end up getting like four page letter pages where people have like, you know, thousand word diatribes and philosophical things and stuff. Yes. Oh, like the, the the magazine's going to have some of those as well. And it's just like, come on, I'm here for comics. I'm not here for randos talking words, buddy. (laughs) But uh, another letter calls Fi on Corey and Anderson for going to the bop shop. Another writer has met a weird alien from the planet Colostomy. Yikes. And a third made up a, a, a silly ditty about dread while he's on the toilet. Very tra-la-la based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Later, after a repeat of the TCV ad, we get an ad for the sci-fi special and for the album by the band Die Krups, which I believe is an EP, but it's the kind of German EDM music that I assume you hear constantly while walking down the street, Fox. (laughs) Don't assuage my my fantasies, buddy. Let me dream. I try to tune things out. (laughs) That's fair. Mid-prog, John, John Brosnan pulls double duty with a flicks column. It seems he's heard some movie gossip, namely that Arnold Schwarzenegger has signed on to be in both Aliens 3 and Blade Runner 2. And Brosnan Wrong. hates Arnold, man. <laughs> Apparently, he was briefly tapped to be Judge Dredd as well. But listen, Hollywood guys, it can't all be Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Come on. I mean... Um. Uh, he does mention the upcoming Total Recall and Indiana Jones and Last Crusade films being good, and they're definitely foundational films for me, my your buddy Conrad. He also talks about They Live, which is awesome. It's amazing. Uh, Brosnan right. then mentions some brief previews for Batman, which he's skeptical of, and The Burbs and The Abyss. Also, apparently, George Lucas is about to announce three new Star Wars movies, mm. but that's just a rumor. Don't hold him to it, which I'll say I won't. The prog ends the pinup by Steve Cook of Judge Anderson in high heeled boots and backwards on a chair, showing off the goods. Mine seem to, to fit okay, she says. What? This ad for emphatically, trousers? yes. The trousers that police the Big Meg. Uh, yeah, because, you know, this is the company that PJ Maybe's family owns. I mean, it's not owns. super clear that it's a pants ad. You know what I mean? Well, like, she's I not feel- pulling them up and looking like these are... I mean, they're prominently Levi's featured because you can add. see her behind, be, behind. But I believe, sure. I believe, I mean, she could that, also be farting, and just like sometimes it's great to fart. Jesus, but I believe this is also a parody of an existing jeans ad from the era, from like 1989. Uh, like, all right, ni- to, in my mind, 1989 uh, is when jeans really start being advertised extensively. Uh, if that I makes sense, I just believe if you're going to do a clothing ad, you should be doing the action of putting on the clothing because it looks like the it's driving excitement as opposed to just passively enjoying pants like great you're right pants cover your butt yeah i mean she's saying my mine seem to fit okay and then you look at her <laughs> butt and you're like oh yes it seems like they actually do. they seem to fit great i mean i don't know but i believe that this is yet yeah, this is a um also a parody of an existing jeans ad. No, and stuff. I, and I the, believe you. And the, I, uh, and the, I am just simply uh, uneducated. And we'll remember that that quote was actually from Dredd at the funeral for one of the Yes Brothers because he said uh, like uh, – like Really? He was, like, yeah, he, he, put in an, he put in an appearance because um, because the Yeses have the pants contract of someone from the Justice Department had to come. And if he hadn't been there, there would have been no Judge Dredd in that episode. Oh, my but God. He kind, of, he kind of said, hey, it's sad that this guy died. Um, the pants he made seemed to be pretty good. My, mine seemed to fit, to fit okay. All Not right, the worst. Funeral, funeral done. I got to go do stuff. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's the trousers that police the Big Meg. Whatever. Um, and speaking of someone who only wears pants, Fox. <laughs> only? Well, and a helmet and a backpack, I guess. It's Thrill 4 Rogue Trooper. Man, how is it that it took this long to make a fantastic, I definitely want to read the rest of it, Rogue Trooper, and then it goes on hiatus? <laughs> It's exciting, yeah. So, scripter about John Smith, art about Steve Dillon, and Kevin Walker, art about Gordon Robson as kid. 
Last episode, a beleaguered rogue trooper pulled down from a crucifixion and riddled with space aids arrived at the Free City Cinnabar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were attacking his immune system. I don't know. I mean, no, uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. A guard pulled a gun on him as he approached the, and, uh, and, and he went to talk to the leaders of the place, the Cabal. When he, uh, but before he learned that all of his recent problems were part of a series of bets the city had made on his survival. Literally as never there is anything ever that is good that's called the Cabal. It's true. Um, as this is all dawning on Rogue, he um, learns that an annulment f- – or sorry. Yeah. He uh, he tries to attack the guards and learns that an annulment field is preventing his wor- his weapons from working. The book he killed crazy explains this whole situation in more detail as Rogue is brought into the hall of the Cabal. It's a group of five people, a combo of Norts and Southers, one of them's a lady. They immediately send Blair, the Souther mutineer that helped I Rogue mean, get to this point, off and, to something called the Meat Rack. And then the lady immediately starts being like... Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. I mean, listen. I mean, the whole time for the next two fucking comics. (laughs) I don't think she really gets into him until he takes Kill Crazy Hostage, Fox. That's my point. Um, As they're, but 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 I mentioned as they send Blair away, they do kind of tease a couple of other places he could be sent, including something called Charybdis. Um, But anyway. they turn to Rogue, and it seems that the virus they've infected him with does indeed have a cure, but it'll be extremely expensive to do so and aren't sure they, he's worth it. As they deliberate, deliberate, Rogue springs into action and takes Kill Crazy hostage, but the guards just kind of shoot Kill Crazy and take Rogue captive again. Rogue gets tasered, and the lady of the castle takes an interest in him. She's mocked by this bald, fey member of the group. But come on, man, Rogue's pretty ripped, and the blue skin is pretty hot, TBH. I mean, you know, he's pretty cute. Now you take the helmet off, he's got that he's got that buzz cut. Got that mm. mohawk, mm. yeah. She asks if he'd like to stud for her, and he says he I doesn't want to die. I feel like won't. there's subtext there, my man. It feels like it's text, buddy. <laughs> like, listen, do you want to fuck? Well, I don't. Like, listen, you can die or we can fuck. What do you want to do? Do you well, quite I don't literally want to sire my children? So, whatever. Um, anyway, he won't die unless they take him to Charybdis, which I'll sh- I'm sure we'll learn about soon. So, now, time for a montage, Fox. Getting, uh, getting fixed up and then having to have sex to pay for it. Montage! Montage! <laughs> Rogue gets a bunch of transplants and surgery and definitely does it with that Lady Cabal member. lot going on in this one. <laughs> I Sorry. mean, it's... With, be- between this and the Horned God, there's a lot of doing it in <sighs> Prague 630, buddy. I, if, if you thought this was a comic book for eight-year-olds... Mm-mm. I mean, it is kind of off, you know, it is kind of off uh, screen, and she's mostly just asking her to see if she lo- if he loves her and stuff, which is more, sure. you know, vague implications. But anyway, soon Rogue is up and around and feeling way better. He's on the mend and nearing peak reaction times, but it's a bummer because in four days he's facing Charybdis, and that will kill him just like anyone else. Within an hour of the fight, we zoom through Cinnabar, where the elite rub shoulders and watch axe and grenade juggling, horses fighting wolverines, <laughs> hardcore know, multi-species like fucking, an axe and, and grenade uh, juggling. Yeah, to really and get clown the chainsaw body fights. Oh, I mean, who doesn't like a good clown chainsaw fight? Yeah, I also said hardcore multi-species fucking, but you talked right over me, Fox, and I feel <laughs> I mean, like that listen, was the funniest man, one. I feel like that's implicit in the fact that the man is blue and she's a human. 
Indeed. So Cinnabar is where dreams come true, even if it's lying on your back playing a sweet saxophone into the night. This brings us to the main event, Rogue Trooper versus the four-kilometer Leviathan known as Charybdis. I mean, I would just call it Holes if I called it anything. It would just be called Holes. Yeah. Uh, so Rogue will be fighting inside the monster. The bet is to see how long he'll last. Rogue tries to get some pithy last words on at the mouth of the beast, but instead just gets swallowed up inside. See you or gets swallowed up. We'll see you on the other side, buddy. Oh. Cinnabar will return in Prague 633 next episode with gut feeling. This is such a fucking bullshit move where finally I'm excited about, like, the entirety of Rogue Trooper. This is exactly what he was built for, like, getting out of this kind of situation, but over, like, say, 20 issues. Awesome. Mm, yeah. Well, I think and this story's still going to be good. Like, you know, we'll, be, bye. we'll be right back at it next episode for sure, and there's definitely some cool stuff to come in this Cinnabar story. But it is sort of like, you know, we're seeing Rogue reach a very low point, which is very interesting, just because generally Rogue just kind of breezes through a lot of uh, problems, you know. Exactly. Like that's well, like I mean anyway. that 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 was often our complaint about Rogue Trooper was that he had that same Bill Savage invincibility, but because of his like a genetically engineered nature and stuff, it wasn't as charming as when Bill was able to do it. <sighs> kind of exactly because Bill would whip a bunch of geese with a bandolier for reason. He was being attacked, man. Those I mean, geese he were didn't being, need a, a being... helmet to tell him that he was being an asshole. That's all. That's fair. Yeah, well, he, he had some sidekicks to help him out with that. And speaking of, of helpful sidekicks, Fox. Oh, no. Thrill 5 Beyond Zero. I mean, is it not just fantastic? It's pretty fun, buddy. Script robot John Brosnan, art robot Kev Hopgood, leg robot Jack Potter. Our buddy, cyborg cab driver Tanner, arrives at home <laughs> after a long day of work and puts on Casablanca, but is interrupted by a message from CENCOM, the Central Council, which doesn't even really exist in Zero City anymore, it seems. Sure, but maybe it does. Who knows? Well, he's been, chosen, he's been chosen for a mission to lead an expedition outside the dome. I mean, you said Tanner, dome. right? Yeah. Into you mean surrounding Spanner. Indeed. He's got to go into the um, surrounding wildernesses to establish communications. He can either do that or have his credit and status erased. Tanner agrees, but shoots his TV anyway on the way out. Later, at the city armory, a rickety old robot is equipping Tanner, or indeed Spanner as he calls him, for his mission. Mm. And he's been issued a backup team. Two people specifically. One that yeah. is definitely a lady, maybe, and one that is definitively a dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, first there's first there's Risa P Pirea, a jet black class B battle android with the body with the body features of a sexy lady. One of those half jackets so popular in the late eighties and early nineties comics. And but the droid's original operating system has been wiped, so they just tossed in the personality recording. From a famous uh, feminist campaigner. The, the personality of a famous feminist campaigner, I guess she was actually able to develop that inexplicable feminist agenda to a radical feminist agenda. I mean, you know, if you're going to have a cyborg ninja, at least be it a fucking uh, sick ass cyborg ninja. Oh, uh, you're no selling my, my Disco Elysium joke. Oh, no. Nah. <laughs> 
because if you whatever anyway oh um, well the other one is a gut miner three or eight five six four three four a clone warrior that may have suffered some synaptic deterioration while he was on ice but don't worry about it Ge- generally as good and murderous as new They'll have to take his cab, unfortunately, as Risa, um, and they work this out as as Arisa, um, ex- just sort of calls everybody involved with this a chauvinist and gut beast or threatens violence with everybody. This feels like an extremely Dungeons and Dragons group right now. <laughs> Fantastic uh, VHS B movie. <laughs> Tanner gets on the phone and explains all this stuff to Alana. He'll be back in a couple days. He assumes this was all set up by the evil Nemo, the bad guy from last story. And he's not wrong, I guess. Yeah. And he can't really do anything about it, so just hold tight. The crew gets issued weapons, rations, and gear. And there's a really funny image here as, as we see Gut 8's face when he sees all this guns and stuff. He's like, whoa! <laughs> And when asked what the actual mission is, the droid says, just go go tell the outside world hi from Zero City. Why Have not? a good time. The gang loads up and heads for the gate. Risa and Gut 8 are squabbling and Tanner, of course, implies they're in love. He drives for the gate as the evil Nemo watches him go, sw- uh, swirling his fine wine. May Tanner's <laughs> death be long, drawn out, and very messy. And suddenly dirigible? Yeah, cab rides out and Zero City disappears behind them because apparently the whole dome is a stealth system. The surrounding desert doesn't have any life, which bums Gut ate out because he wants some action. And Risa yells at him for both being a stereotype and bemoans, bemoans her current fate as a robo-sex bot. Mean- Things are quiet. Too quiet. And then the sky goes dark. It's a giant murder blimp! <laughs> murder blimp feels... I mean, I'd like a murder blimp. Why not? It's got giant scary eyes painted on it, and Lord Mordreth orders them to surrender or die. They don't, and so the shooting starts. <laughs> it's finally fight time as Gut 8 punches a hole in the roof, machine guns the damn blimp. Oh, it's real awesome. Just running gunfight. Finally, they reach cover and head for it, or see cover and head for a nearby forest. But it's not a forest. Instead, it's a giant mushroom patch with tree-sized shrooms and stuff. Extremely disturbing. Especially when fast-moving myconoid roots destroy the cab's wheels. Myconoid roots. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Mushroom (laughs) No, I mean, like, that's... It's just a thing that happens. I'm very impressed. (laughs) And then strange fingers with clawed hands appear from the undergrowth. It's the Tom Tully special after all these years. (laughs) I guess the full Tom Tully special has a view screen as well as a mysterious hand, but this is close enough. I mean, I'm I'm okay with like Dr. Claw hand. Yeah, why not? So it seems like... It looks like the team is being confronted by a bunch of fungoid humans. Which, Tanner tries to make speech. Like make literally peace. immediately just say, no, you cannot charisma check on us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the uh, the um, he, yeah, he tries to make peace with the mushroom man says, spit on your friendship. Get down with the fungus or die. Tanner isn't impressed. Get and blasts down with the, giant- the fungus. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Gets- no, I was, I was going. Um, uh, Tanner uh, isn't impressed. He blasts a giant hole in the leader's chest, but that doesn't stop him. It's gunfight time. Even shooting these guys' heads off doesn't do anything. Oh man, what are we gonna do? One I answer, guess Fox. Just maybe enlist a podcat slash whatever, like Gen Genetic Cat. For, 
First, we gotta <gasps> run. They keep <sighs> running and eventually run into a sweet cat monster. It shares off the shrooms and says they won't be back. It could talk. Well, but, I mean, is its name Snarf? Nobody. Its name is Rorschkat. Snarf. Which very much feels like John Brosnan having a go at Watchmen, if you ask me. S- snarf. <laughs> No way, man, because Snarf is, like, cowardly and cute and stuff. I mean, I'm there with you, but also Snarf? Yeah, Snarf! Exactly. I'm going to kill these guys with my giant claws, Snarf. <laughs> it offers its guide services. Risa and Gutate are skeptical. Oh, sorry. We, we learned, or, or Tanner explains that this is a dog elf, a genetically engineered super cat from the war. It says, again, his name is Rorschkat. Risha and, and, uh, and offers guide services. Risa and Gunnar are skeptical because Dog Elf disbanded when a lot of the cats went rogue and killed everybody. But Tanner <laughs> ends up agreeing because they don't really That's have any leads in this land. So let's follow this giant Moggy. And I mean, Moggy, I guess, is English for cat, but not like a, a fancy cat, like a mutt cat. Seems FYI. into this half-cyborg dude, so they went on. Yeah. They arrive at a pond to get some water, and suddenly, a giant frog monster comes out of the bog. No one likes a frogman, butta, butta, butta. Exactly. And luckily, this is a party of battle-hardened adventurers, so they immediately kill it, like, right away. You've killed Basil! I mean, but also, like, 1,000 XP, so not so bad. But also a betrayal because Rorschkat was leading them here for this frog dude to attack them because he knows the frog dude's name. Uh, now he's in trouble for whoops. this betrayal, and that's why next time the story is going to be called Rorschkat Test. Ooh. <laughs> Pretty good. Now, yep. fun, just fun, fun action here. Just sort of a bunch of guys going on adventures and stuff like that. All right, but speaking of maybe less fun adventures, maybe instead speaking about creepy adventures, Fox. <laughs> creepy. Yeah, let's get spooked out with Thrill Six. Future Jocks. <sighs> First story is called Opening Moves. Script robot John Smith, art robot Mick Austin, letter robot Tom Frame. It's weird. It's weird yeah, it, with this old this, man. This is a weird story. I think what we've kind of come to expect with John Smith, Future Shocks, to be honest. Um, September 25th, 1992, it's the day. At a research foundation, a man named Frank visits a lab-coded man named Lou. Lou has just built a device, a gateway to a new dimension. Who knows what's over there? Ah, Frank warns Lou to be careful, but Lou's pretty confident. He walks through the gateway, finds a terrifying new world. His body changes. Things are strange and seem impossible. And something there is waiting for him, alive, on the border of the Darklands. (sighs) He has a moment to react in fear. But then... Back on Earth, Lou comes through the gate and says it's a fairy tale world on the other side and ushers his buddy Frank through. And the thing that was that the thing that Lou has become waits for Frank to return as a kind of black cloud yeah, it's spookily like this gooey flows out of him. Kind of thing coming out of him. It's yeah, kind of like a... spawn esque, like kinda not spawn. What's the gooey no, like super in, or Spider Man? To... Thing. Venom, although to Venom. me it's just more sort of like invasions of the body snatchers or something oh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? that I like that ending. Better. The thing that Lou had become was yeah. is pretty good. So yeah, kind of a creepy one here. Anyway, next up, 
Inside moves. Ooh, there was out opening moves. Now inside moves. Weird. Um, <laughs> script wrote about John Smith. Art wrote about Chris Weston. Letter about Tom Frame. A man coughs in a hotel room. You can feel something twisting in his guts. It seems bad. He remembers happier days when he was presenting a science thing, videotaping a person in heavy protective gear, opening a capsule of some kind with some kind of organism in it. The suit's bulletproof. They're in a capsule that's seemingly impenetrable. They drew this life. They drew this life form from inside a dead whale. But suddenly, the researcher knocks over a capsule and it breaks. And then a big black glue goo shoots through the armored man, bursts through the glass of the laboratory in a huge explosion. The man from the start looks at the organism and can't help it when it leaps straight into his eye. Ugh. Now he's wandering the land, killing everyone that was in the room with him. Because they've all been infected by this organism. He burns their bodies. He does the same with other infected people who he calls drones. He thinks he's finally killed them all and then kills himself. But instead he wakes up in a hospital room. He should be dead. But instead he's alive, awake, and infected by the organism. He passes out uh, in pain. And the pain only stops when he's given birth. And uh, this was the original script for uh, Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, you and your Arnold weird, Schwarzenegger but, uh, applicable <laughs> yeah and I think this one also does like you know does some kind of creepy things and has a real oh, no. like I did not know that that was going to be like time. spoopy ambiguous uh, ambiguous oh, yeah. ending you know it's good times oh it was gross yeah. I had a bad time <laughs> and speaking of weird births uh, last one's called <laughs> Order of the Beast <laughs> script about John Smith art about Dave Danticke letter about Tom Frame Third and weirdest of John Smith's future shock this month, I think, is a crazy five-pager. A man on an alien planet seems to be dying. He's blinded, feverish, delirious, crying, and wishing he was dead as people stand over him. His friend, Eshol, order, offers him a drink of something because it's time for the last trial, apparently. The the <sighs> locals, Wahine kinswoman, remove Jetta grubs that they have placed on his arms and chest as he stumbles to his feet. Just a lot of like sort of sci-fi jargon in here. He's on a planet called uh, Calatrune, a the backwater mother world of dust and sons and women. Many women. Only women. It seems their society is linked to a carnivorous beast called the Kandarii. It, or Kandarii. Um, it seems this guy, Aronson, has come to this planet to hunt it because he's a galaxy-spanning space hunter. He, we, he goes to some kind of arena and stands in the middle waiting for the beast. It appears some kind of giant armored combo of warthog and alligator, but moves incredibly fast with just a spear. Aronson takes some hits but keeps fighting, scoring points on the beast, but eventually getting hit by the poison quills of its tail. The beast climbs over him, its jaws level with his face, and just seems to stare into his eyes, breathing as Aronson passes out. He wakes up eventually in a shallow grave. The Wahine trines, the, the Wahine trines, tribes women standing around him, surrounded by incest burners, and his body's painted with strange design, or his body painted with strange designs. They bury him in a in a shallow grave, as his guide Estral says. The Kandari did eventually die of blood loss. The great All God will pass through him and his daughter, which seems ominous but also confusing. The end. I don't know. <laughs> Quite literally the most complicated thing that doesn't matter in the whole of yeah. what we read. <laughs> I got kind of a sense that like this – like the, pe the, the people that's planted are only women because they reproduce sure. by this carnivorous beast killing a dude and then a bunch of but people like growing out of them line. or something. 
it's definitely more trying to set up a mood and make you kind of be like confused. Maybe a story. Than to tell a real story read. and like kind of tell you exact specifics and stuff like that. It's a mood piece, you know? Sure. But not in exclamation point ending. <laughs> I think it's good. You know, good enough. It's but uh, with, with that, Fox, let's end not ambiguously. Uh, and instead, you tell me what your top and bottom thrills are. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, JD, especially when we're talking about, uh, uh, I believe it's 631 mm -hmm. and 632, right? Where you kind of get this. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I think it's so just you, 631. You, where, 631, where you that's get this the, kind the, the of juxtaposition of the, yeah. of the story. Fantastic. Uh, it nearly solidified itself as top for me just for that. However, oh, nice. Zenith with Maxi Man's constant strange rambling, because I'll <laughs> yeah. get to this with my bottom, was compelling to read mm -hmm. and bizarre and in world and uh, is in some way creating this kind of cult uh, that you are witnessing amongst all these people. Zenith, wow. who, by the way, is normally very nonchalant, like, fuck it. However, uh, you get this world-building sense, but you also get this cult sense of what he's building, even though he's kind of this uh, harebrained guy. He doesn't have words. He doesn't understand concepts. He doesn't understand where he is. Now we compare that to my bottom, which is slain. Ooh, interesting. I don't put Slain on the bottom. Yeah, that's literally for sure. Every single thrill that I read of Slain, uh, with some exception, light exceptions, it was Pat Mills just writing tons of writer dialogue, <laughs> like not letting the the images speak for themselves. Because I would read uh, what he's writing, and then I would look at the pictures. They mm -hmm. would have nothing to do with each other. So uh, I see, yeah. Because so, I mean, it, it's true that 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 a lot of it is like Slain's interior dialogue as he travels to the uh, to the Earth Goddess and stuff. But but or, that or can then, be or transmitted going to yeah, Slavic. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. But Sorry, that go can ahead. be transmitted as like, look, this is what I'm trying to get across. I will write this. Here's all of this beautiful space to do it. Uh, like make that fantasy kind of as you're going through the space a reality right like with color and with everything and no he had a very clear intention of of like what he would go through mm -hmm. uh but he also had a very clear thing of what he wanted to say which was incomplete juxtaposition to the artwork if that makes sense i could look at the artwork and not and understand the progression of things but I could read his words and literally not understand what the fuck was going on <laughs> uh, because he was trying to set a grander mood as we know he is wont to do in Slain. Yeah. Uh, he's doing it again, which I enjoy. It's actually a compelling thing, but it is literally at odds with the beautiful art that's going on. Hmm. Some of the most beautiful art I've seen in these progs. So when I say top, is not zero, which I really want to give it to, and it is instead uh, um, uh, Zenith. Right. And my bottom is 
absolutely slain, <laughs> it is because of that juxtaposition, because of how sure. strongly it started, how strongly it ended, but quite literally the middle of this thing was not an Oreo cookie, it was like a shit cookie. Oh, no. It was one that I had to read constantly and not get rewarded for. So, Conrad, what are your Inter- thoughts yeah, no. thrills? That's interesting. I mean, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how, how you're going to find Slain going forward. I mean, th- we're still in these setup sections. Like, it is kind of like laying down sort of the framework, which will sort of have some more action and things like that, or just sort of more plot developing and stuff. I think it's, 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 it's inter- like, I think, I don't know. Sorry. I, I just wanted to say, I, th- I, I, th- I, th- I think your bottom choice is interesting. I, um, I love the plot of Slain. I loved what he was setting up. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was literally at odds visually, right? Mm. So as I was reading, it literally confused me with what was going on. Whereas visually, I could tell he went into the pod, he was going down, he was kind of fighting yeah. these burdens of himself, I mean, he yeah. was kind of going through these things. But literally, anytime you read anything Pat Mills wrote, it was convoluted at best. I mean, me. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm sort of going through this for like maybe the, the, the fourth time now in terms of reading The Horn God. But um, for me, Slane's my top. Like, I don't know. Ooh. The art's amazing. I, can see I really, I really like the writing. Like, I think that, um, you know, it's really well done and it really does a good, like, it does an interesting job of setting the scene and explaining things, you know? Like, mm. I mean, while I, I agree that sort of the fish slain fought and how he fought, it doesn't sure. really directly, uh, like, go one-to-one with, like, something that you could mm. see of his pride or something like that. I mean, honestly, I could just see that as, as a plot. Like, it could be anything you don't like about yourself that you're sort of giving up to see the Earth Goddess or something. Like that. I don't know. Like, but it felt like sort of as another example of Slain change of Slain's personality maturing that we've seen elsewhere in Slain stories, especially, like I said, in the Trials of a Noon and stuff like that. And then... You know, I really like like, but I liked all that scene setting. I loved his conversation with uh, with the Earth Goddess and stuff. And, oh yeah, um, that was good. Then work. like the um, all the stuff with Slough Feg as well, and just sort of. I like, I actually his... felt that Mabe was the weakest part of all of that. Because <laughs> I really like liked the uh, like the like visually reflection... it told the story. Sorry, please. I, I really liked like. Uh, how they had the like how Slough Feg was sort of like raging against his past, and we sort of you know the words were talking about him being powerful, and that was really juxtaposed with the art of him being like thin and bony and kind of ridiculous and stuff like that. I, like, su- I suppose I think- m- my issue was more of that: did you need the words to say that, or did the art already let you into it? That's sort of what I mean. I think so. I mean, I don't know. I think it like it's sort of giving vi- important background and into into this character and stuff. I mean that because I think if you don't have the words talking about how he used to be powerful and great, then he's just kind of a bony old man who's no real, who's just sort of pathetic. Absolutely. Like you need I the think words leading there into to counterpoint to be a counterpoint Sorry. to it. I, so, I think that leading into that. Like when when they were reintroducing Slaufeg, they they gave some story that was juicy, and yeah. then you saw his pain. But then it was like two paragraphs uh, for almost every single image explaining what 
he was going through, which was almost emphatically clear. He's not happy. I, well, yeah, but uh, I for mean, me, it's, for, but for he, me, it's, this it's, is it's not me attacking. It's your that position, he's not obviously. happy in the context of like the past, which I don't think you can really get just from looking at like the cave paintings and stuff. I mean, that Maybe kind of not. assumes that it's old, but we know that Slane's world is old and stuff like that. You know, it's talking about this character who. Because of a of a of like kind of a an error due to his own hubris when he made a deal with the Scythrons to sort of live twenty thousand years, but they <laughs> haven't been a happy twenty thousand years, you know. I I, I can don't get know behind that. I think that's interesting, and I think like mm. I don't know, like to me, to me, the art and the and the writing really works together, like pretty much well, I entirely. I think that's absolutely valid. Like, like I, I mean, I do. I think it it's it's very different. Like like this story, this horned god is a different story than previous slain stories. It's a different story than a yes. lot of stuff we've seen in uh, I think it's a AD. better slain story. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, and I think it and I think it's got a lot of of words going on that that um, are that, necessary. Well, they reward a, a close reading, I guess, uh, and so I agree with mean, that in a way. Yeah, and so um, you know, so I think it's good for me. Uh, the the horn god is top for bottom. It's hard for me to really pick anything. Like I don't know. Um, I think I think I might just do um, say yeah. I think I'm gonna say dread for my bottom. Actually, I, yeah, um, you're right. Like because it's other cause, than one, it wasn't fantastic, right? Cause, yeah, well, yeah, because the uh, the 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 Cliff Robinson story I thought was really great. This like. Mm. Um, you know, this sad story about the life of people in Mega City One, which, of course, as I mentioned, we, we've kind of seen before, but I always like to see new dimensions of it. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like the the, um, the first story with Kohlrabi. I really didn't like oh, how it yeah. ended and sort of how that reflects on the character of Dread and stuff like well, that. so because, bizarre. It's out of because, character. Yeah, and Dread doing and, – well, and it's especially out of character with the character that we're seeing in the second story and this kind of new version of Dread that we're building towards um, in other stories and stuff like that. This feels mm. like a very um, young, hardline Dread. Harder line than we've actually seen him before generally. So it's sort of out of place with all these – it's – you know – We've clearly been 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 building this new like dread having a crisis of confidence with all these different stories, people telling him he's yeah. old and things like that. And so this feels like a throwback to a different, harsher dread that doesn't really fit in. I don't think. Well, I, mean, I would have expected that like halfway through an epic where it it just everything snaps, but suddenly well, yeah, he just I mean, shoots a guy in the back, and you're like, but but why? I mean, we, we've we kind of seen that like midway through the Apocalypse War when they executed all those people with radiation poisoning and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, but this – and because of but, – but that's like, you know, in the middle of the war, these people that can't be exactly. helped, you know. And so, it's a different yeah, time. And, and so – but generally because of that, it feels like a different – it's different than, than the character as it's been developing currently, but also feels different from like uh, past versions of Dread and stuff like I that. I strongly it's, it's, agree it with odd. that. Like so, I feel like that's a great assessment. Yeah. Um, you know, counterpoint though, of course, like the the next story, like again, the uh, the story with the kid was really great. Um, oh, I, I thought mean, that fantastic. did a, a good job, the opposite direction, and I'm very excited for the rest of the confessions of PJ, maybe, but we'll get away more of that next episode. So yeah. So for me, top slain, bottom dread. There we go. Okay. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Titch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or a podcast site, spacebinner2000.com. 
Feel free to contact us at spacepinner2000 at gmail.com on 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page. On Twitter, we're at spacepinner2k. For everything else, just look up spacepinner2000. We should be there. And come back next week as PJ Maybe continues his confessions. Oh, yeah. Road Trooper, Great. Beyond Zero, Zenith, and Slain will all, all reach stopping points. Though most Wait, of what? them will return soon. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it next time. And we'll start new adventures with Judge Anderson, Medivac 318, and Strontium Dog. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Splendid Earth 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 Earth